Anthony Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. In our latest episode, soulmusic.com founder David Nathan is joined by a distinguished entertainment journalist and former R&B music editor at Billboard magazine, Janine Coveney. Today, they discuss Make It Last Forever, the three million selling debut album by Keith Sweat. David and Janine discuss Keith's emergence as a new Jack hitmaker with the now classic I Want Her and his ability to make an immediate impact with romantic ballads like the album's title track duet with Jackie McGee as well as up-tempo jams like Don't Stop Your Love. Let's join David and Janine as they share their thoughts about the classic Make It Last Forever album. Hi Janine, how are you today? Hi, David. Thanks for having me on again. Yes, you're most welcome. It's always a delight to talk to you because uh, I know that when, uh, when we're talking about pretty much any subject related to soul music, R&B, particularly going back, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s and so on, uh, you bring your expertise, knowledge and uh, all your work as uh, in, in many different roles. Actually, I'm thinking I'm remembering now, not just um, you as a journalist and a premier journalist at at probably the most important music industry publication in the world, at least back then, Billboard. And then, you know, I know you've done other things in, in, in the industry. So I, I, you know, really appreciate uh, that when we have these conversations, you bring a expertise as well as your, you know, your, your opinion, overview of the subject matter. And today the subject matter is... Keith Sweat. Keith Sweat. Debut album... 1986, actually, I looked it up. It actually came out at the end of 1986. Mm-hmm. But, of course, his biggest success was in 1987. And we are referring to the um, 3 million selling Make It Last Forever. Exactly. So um, I-, I wanted to just say a couple of things um, about my uh, initial conversation with Keith Sweat, which was actually – uh, towards the end of 1987, upon the release of the album. Um, and, and it was particularly memorable because he, of course, had the background of coming f- immediately before that from being a trader on the Wall Street Stock Exchange. And um, he, while he was obviously clearly excited about music and he, you know, he had been singing with different groups. And if you go back in his background, you find, of course, that he, you know, singing was an absolute passion. But he told me in the interview we did, which was for Black Radio Exclusive, BRE, that he he wasn't really expecting it. And, and he was a little, ner- he was quite nervous about doing the interview because he hadn't done anything like that before. So it wasn't a long conversation, but I, 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 what my recollection of him is, is he was kind of shy. Because he didn't, he wanted to make sure he got it right, you know, answering the questions and so on. Uh, and it came just as the interview we did was just as I won her, the, the first uh, uh, single started to skyrocket. And so he was already beginning to experience, you know, some, some degree of, of success and acclimatizing himself to having a hit record. So that's my first uh, memory of, of Keith, uh, like directly in person. And, uh, you know, and, and he really, as, as you know, you and I have discussed in prepping, 
Uh, he was really the, uh, you know, many ways the the first male vocalist that, to come out of the new Jack Swing era that created uh, this incredible long, longevity in his career. So I've said a lot as an intro. So now over to you, Janine. What is your what are your recollections of first hearing Make It Last Forever and first hearing Keith Sweat? Well, I think Keith Sweat was really an ear-catching artist. There was no one who sounded like him vocally. Nobody really looked like him in terms of his presentation as a new Jack singer. And I think that the magic, the alchemy of him with Teddy Riley's beats was, you know, and Teddy Riley's sense of um, melody and rhythm was really the magic that came together to make him popular in that time. Because um, during the 80s, you had this sense of a new generation pushing forward within the culture where they were dubbed new jacks, you know, the, the, the new guy on the block or whatever. And um, the music, the beat didn't sound the same. Like you had this really distinctive beat. And that you hear that in the records and that was new. So the record that I recall first hearing um, Keith Sweat was I Want Her. That was a very distinctive beat. It was a very distinctive vocal and melody. It was catchy. Um, you know, you had the, the R&B singer delivering his romantic come on and, and his his desire in this really hip sounding record. I mean, it didn't sound like anything else at that time. Soon enough, everything would be imitating that sound. But Keith was at the crest of the new Jet Swing wave and um, he made the most of it, I think. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, no, it's interesting, uh, a couple of things that you, you, you uh, points that you made, which I think are worth expounding upon, um, one of which was his presentation. You know, uh, you know of course, uh, you know, we know that people probably thought that because his name was Keith Sweat, that I think for many people, they really didn't thought that was his stage name. They didn't think it was his real name. So, therefore... You know, if it was someone who had created this name, Keith Sweat, you would expect someone who'd be like kind of, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like James Brown. Right. You know, you know giving give you that whole energy, that kind of, yeah. And I'll tell you anything away from James Brown. I'm just saying that, that was not what the name would conjure up. And then you meet this guy who's you know, groomed, you know, well-dressed, kind of looking like, you know, suave, you could say. That's a good word, suave. And, yep. um, and 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 yet his vocal delivery kind of it wasn't the suave suave now but using suave a lot now uh, and smoothness silkiness of a Luther Vandross he had the imaging and then he had this voice that was more like you said street like kind of mixture of of street sophisticated I mean it's all it was all those things because because one of the other songs we want to talk about is the title track. Um, do we have anything else you want to say about I Want Her? Uh, no, just that, again, it, it was very, very catchy. And I think it caught a lot of people off guard and really set a precedent, particularly on the dance floor and what people now expected 
to hear and um, that new Jack idea, not only new Jack in identifying music, but in identifying the type of artists that would now become popular because you had this whole sense of Harlem as another second renaissance, you know, uh, the, the mm. new renaissance of sound and style and really bridging again, old school with new school. Cause if you recall at that time in the eighties, 86, 87, you still had artists like Smokey Robinson and, and mm. Stevie wonder and Aretha Franklin and Natalie Cole were still charting, charting hits. Luther was there. Anita mm -hmm. Baker was just starting to come out. So you still had that smooth, you know, traditional R&B aesthetic, but now you had this kind of finger popping new school. And again, Keith wasn't doing anything new in terms of the substance. It was the style that was new. Yeah, no, definitely. No question. No question. So let's let's move on to uh, probably what is my favorite track on the album, uh, which is um, the title track, Make It Last Forever, which was um, uh, just really um, it's still, I think it's, I think it's, when I think about the song from that time period, I think it's one of the most enduring um, recordings of the, of the whole New Jack era. I mean, it really kind of transcends that to me. I mean, it isn't, yes, it, it came on that first album. It's no surprise that they called the album that um, because they could have called it I Wonder, I suppose, but they called it that. And, and it really, the, the, it's a, yeah, I think because it's, it brings those elements you talked about, the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the street, the street flavor, so to speak. And it wasn't the kind of elegant ballad of a of a, of a Luther, but it 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 just was a it was a really uh, it was a great piece of music. It was, and the thing about Keith, he might not have had you know he he sounded completely to himself, but what he really had in his vocals was this incredible conviction. And, um, you know, he, you and I talked about the tradition of R&B artists and others who this begging the baby, 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 please, baby, don't leave me, please, baby, be with me, be with me forever. And Keith really brought it to a, a new art, you know, <laughs> he had his own way of doing that and make it last forever was like this quintessential pairing of that style of of begging and the promise of forever and what woman doesn't want to hear that and also you know the the melody as you mentioned is really haunting it's, it's a really good um as a recording it's a great recording yeah and then and the fact is that well i also could, could say something you know if you wanted to be um cosmic about it you know we could say that um calling the album make it last forever was also, in a sense, the kind of uh, predictive way of how his career has gone. I mean, forever, of course, you know, the forever is not really forever for anyone. But I mean, I meant in terms of his longevity and his um, ability to sustain himself. So his success uh, did, has lost in, in terms of music industry terms and so in terms of recording. Uh, it has kind of lost it 
for a very, you know, a significant period of time. So in one sense, it was like a prophetic, a prophetic title for an album. Um, and of course, we, are, we, we shouldn't overlook that it is, uh, of course, a duet with Jackie McGee, mm -hmm. which I think also that also was an element that made a difference. I mean, when I think about uh, other duet partners of that time period, there weren't that many. I mean, I know they weren't permanent duet partners, but the fact is that was a, a I think that also contributed to the success of that particular record. I think you're correct in that. Um, I wasn't aware of Jackie uh, McGee too much before that, but she really brings a nice counterpoint and fire to the record. And, um, you know, and Keith, as you said, he has had a long and successful career. He's, he's managed to um, leverage his, his talents at, at, both in front of the microphone in the studio and behind. He certainly shared um, artist development, did duets, uh, and he was good at it to the point where, you know, a lot of the duets that he did do uh, that and later in his career with other artists, male and female, did well, did well for him. Okay, let's pause there for a quick break. Then we'll return to David Nathan and Janine Coveney as they continue to talk about Keith Sweat, his staying power as a mainstay on the music scene and dynamic performer and his appeal as a sex symbol. Soul Music Records in association with Platinum Garage Recordings, Preston Glass presents Love and Compassion, Volume 3. The third volume of the successful Preston Glass Presents Love and Compassion digital album series, continuing the positive messages of the previous two volumes. It includes guest artists Larry Graham, Chubby Tavares, Debbie Sledge, Robin S., and The Temptations' Ron Tyson. Preston Glass Presents Love and Compassion, Volume 3, is out now on all digital platforms. All you teach is time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. Yeah, absolutely. And the, th the thing you said about the, uh, the about the about his um, nurturing other talent, you know, Silk, Cut Close. I mean, he really was. Um, I think I think leverage is the word. You know, we, you and I both agreed was probably the appropriate word, um, particularly because he. I think he brought that business acumen from his work on on Wall Street. You're know, leveraging his his brand i mean you know really that's that's a feat you know and and, and i think that um to be able to sustain you know through all kinds of different changes trends and so on through 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 really essentially three decades is pretty phenomenal and you know the really the thing about key two i think i think you would agree is you don't hear key sweat and wonder who it is exactly he had a very particular sound, um, very particular style of music that he did. Um, he was always about 
his image. If you look at the videos, mm -hmm. he's always dressed Im impeccably. Like, even, you know, if he's casual, it's still, you know, the height of fashion. Um, mm -hmm. I was looking at the twisted uh, video that he did with the girls, which is he did much later. Yeah. And um, I still love that record with uh, Cut Close in. Um, you know, he's got on this, he's in all in white and he has on these ankle boots that are black with a white stripe going up the very center from the top. And they're, they're like, you know, obviously designer boots. Like you've never seen anybody wear these things. And I just became mesmerized by, you know, it takes a really, you know, someone who's really strong in their sense of who they, they mm -hmm. are, what their mm -hmm. style is. Um, you know, masculinity to really flaunt some of these, you know, mm -hmm. styles. And yeah. he just never failed to impress in his presentation and his shows were, were yeah. really well crafted as well. He knew how to work an audience. He knew how to whip the ladies up into, you know, a, a fever pitch and, um, you know, I've seen him a few times over the years and he never disappointed. And, you you know, you no matter what you might think of an artist on a record, if they really know how to entertain a crowd and give a great show, that's a great artist. I agree. I agree 100 percent, 100 percent. Well, one of the one songs we, we, we must talk about, of course, is the uh, other big hit from the album, massive hit. Uh, something just ain't right. Mm -hmm. And I was reading a little background about that, you know, uh, and, and, and it really, um, uh, uh, the backstory as I, I'm trying to recreate it is, is basically, you know, uh, uh, not about necessarily something he was experiencing, but he was observing one of his co-workers uh, who was with this girl and he didn't think something just wasn't he didn't think it was right like something just was off in the relationship no and i'm paraphrasing and uh, but I, I i did read you know i read about that and this kind of like you know and that that's um that's an interesting take on uh, on, on, on relationships <laughs> and i think we all know about sometimes we've been in them ourselves where we just knew something just wasn't right <laughs> Exactly. Well right. I mean, you know. So, uh, do you do you have much recollection of, of of hearing that song, or what? It, did it have an impact on you? Well, I heard the song. Um, uh, I say that there were two other songs rather than that one that made okay. an impression on me, and one was "Right and a Wrong Way," mm. and to me, that song again a, a really a slow ballad really tender ballad, but again, a sense of, um, you know, it's talking about a relationship where he's telling a girl, you're not a little girl anymore. It's time for you to take that next big step and let me love you. And there's a right way and a wrong way to love somebody. You, ca you can't play games anymore. You're a woman. And you're like, really? Okay. You know, but it, again, some of the best songs capture a moment. And there is that moment when young women and young men take the leap, you know, they go from children to adults 
in their love relationships. And just to, to capture that moment, you know, um, you know, it reminds me of that song, Tonight is the Night You're Gonna Make Me a Woman, you know, and this oh, is Betty the Wright. guy. Yeah, Betty Wright. Yeah, Betty saying, Wright. Yeah. Yeah. Tonight is the night I'm gonna do it for you, lady. And then the other song that I liked because I always liked the dance floor jams is Don't Stop Your Love, which is definitely a, you know, a dance floor kind of a jam. A jam, a jam. Yes, 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 yes. My favorite. Yeah, I I was going to say, you know, one of the things that, um, um, and I don't think it would be out of line to say this, Janine, is that um, I don't know that after listening to that first album and the massive success he had, I would have predicted, even though we talked before about the fact that it, the title of the album was, in a sense, predictive for Keith. I wouldn't necessarily have uh, expected, and this is no disrespect to his talent, that he would have uh, been able to sustain a career over three decades with so many changes in music, so many changes, I mean, just so much. And you think about some of his contemporaries who are unfortunately no longer with us, um, you know. Um, so the fact that he, that, that he, that he, it wasn't, if you had asked me, when I did the interview with him, you know, do you think this guy's going to be around for like 30 years, you know, making records? I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just wait till we get to album two. And of course, album two, which was also very, very successful. Um, I'll give my, I'll, I'll give all my love to you. There you go. I got it right. Um, yeah. I, I also want to just reference before we move on, um, a couple of the other songs on the on the first album, "Make It Last Forever," which uh, and um, I think I'm correct in saying that "In the Rain" mm-hmm. is in fact a cover. Yes, of the amazing dramatic song, which is actually one of my favorite. I mean, the dramatic song itself, one of my favorite songs. I want to go outside in the rain. It takes something to cover a classic because even by the time that Keith recorded that in 1987, it was already a classic. It was already, you know, one of the kind of uh, mainstays of, 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 of Quiet Storm, what we call this Quiet Storm format. You know, it, it was a massive R&B hit. I mean, and, and I don't know if any, I don't know, we'd have to check if anyone ever recorded it in between the dramatics and Keith. I mean, it's... Well, well, we can can do some historical research, research, but the point being, you can always do some historical research, and the point being that, you know, it takes something to take on a, a classic like that. It does, and I think it demonstrates, too, his own taste in music, his influences. Um, I, as a New Yorker, I know he grew up listening to New York radio from the, in the seventies, which was, you know, very powerful and very influential. And that the dramatic hit was certainly big um, in New York. So I think again, it's just a demonstration of where he saw himself in the progression of, you know, R and B artistry that he was able to pick that song. He probably loved the song and wanted to give it his a modern sprint. Yeah. And he worked, and, and the, the guy who was really responsible, we want, want to make sure we give a, a shout out to uh, the guy who really, who signed him to his company, Vintertainment, Vincent Davis, uh, who, who was very much a champion for 
um, the emergence of, of, of hip hop in, in, in just in that dec- in that decade before you know, a, a New York entrepreneur. And uh, yeah, he was on, on, I remember meeting Vincent. He was so he was ecstatic about the way the success of, the, of that of that first album with Pete. Um, this is one other thing I think we, we, we have to actually reference have to reference, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't, Janine, which is, did you think that Keith Sweat, based on that first album and his appearances and so on, was a sex symbol? I think for a lot of young women, he was a sex symbol. He, as I mentioned before, he looked like somebody who would be fun to go out to, to the club or go out on a date and you know, have fun, but then you could take him home to mom. He he had home training. At least his image was was of that. And um, I I wasn't sure that he was going to have the career that he had. And it's a nice surprise that he did. But as you mentioned, he had some financial um, training, mm-hmm. uh, having worked on Wall Street. So I'm sure he knew how to leverage money how to make business deals and enhance everything that he had going for him. And part of that was his sex appeal. No doubt video helped as it helped a lot of artists um, to bring that image, their personal image into the homes and before the eyes of many, many fans and, you know, women who wanted to be with him and men who wanted to emulate him because he just had that, that smooth, you know, he looked pretty sure of himself he might have been shy in interviews but in those videos only in the beginning only in the beginning Janine I didn't mean to interrupt you I don't think he stayed shy in the interview no I know he didn't but um (laughs) I'm just saying he looked like he knew what he was doing and where he was going and um I did get to interview him later in his career and he you know he was he was a charmer you know all right well Keith Sweat. Did you think he was a sex symbol? <laughs> okay, I think he was a sex symbol. Um, I, I here's what I would say. I, I look, it's a podcast. I'm just going to tell it like it is. I thought he had very sexy eyes. I did. Yeah. I thought he had sultry, kind of what I call bedroom eyes. Um, you know, it's a kind of certain way people kind of droop, kind of droop, a droopy eyelid kind of thing. Um, so I thought that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, engaging. <laughs> so it was definitely part of his appeal, you know, and we know that the entertainment industry uses everything about, you know, That's an right. artist to appeal oh. to the base. So That's right. So to sum it all up, Keith has made it last forever in the music industry, so to speak. And, um, you know, just really salute to him for creating an album that really was a, pione- was a pioneering album. Three million, you know, to come out, the, as I say, to come out from you know, brand new artists, three million, you know, copies. And it also did very well overseas. I should say that he also had an audience, you know, um, in Europe and certainly in Britain. I mean, Keith Sweat has performed in Britain a lot, and he always packs out the, the packs out the the, 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 
the arena, not the arenas, but the theatres that he performs in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Venues. Venues. There you go. Thank you. The venues. All right. Well, thank you, Janine. It's always a delight to speak to you. I know that, um, you know, I can, we can count on each other to, um, to add a little spice to our conversations. And I think that's what makes these um, Classic Soul podcasts so engaging. <laughs> Absolutely. It was so fun talking to you about Keith Sweat. Thank you, David. Okay. All right. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> David and Janine. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform and visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.